Now we're ready for Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. And the word says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Now, there's so much that David says in this psalm that I think we could learn from. First in here, he says, uh, he asked the Lord to accept the willing praise of his mouth. Accept the willing praise. So we should all be willing to praise the Lord, right? We want to, the Lord's not going to force any of us to praise him. It's something that we have to work up within ourselves and in our wills to praise the Lord. Another thing, again, we're talking about the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, how great it is, how, how good it is to know it, how good it is to follow it. I think we get the wrong impression a lot today uh, about God's law as if it were bad. It's not bad. If we keep his commands, it's, it's, it's the way to life is what, uh, what it says several times throughout the word. Somebody came up to Jesus one day and said, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? He said, keep the commands and you'll live. That's, this is the word from Jesus. So keeping God's commands is a good thing. Learning his commands is a good thing. And in, uh, in the path of his commandments, that's the way to life. So let's remember that today. And uh, let's uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together before we get into some worship songs. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
You can be seated. Morning. Now is the time in the service for communion. If you're a baptized believer in Christ, then we invite you to join in the breaking of bread with us today. Today I want to look at Hebrews 9, 18 through 22, and the words will be on the screen. The Word of God says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding there is no remission. We are told we must examine ourselves and make sure our lives line up with the word of God before we partake of communion. This doesn't mean that we have to be sinless to be ready to partake of communion. It means that we have to be cleansed of our sins. We must examine ourselves according to the scriptures and see where we fall short. We must repent and ask him to forgive us. Then we will be ready. In the last line I read, without blood there is no remission. The blood is represented by the juice. By drinking it, we are receiving remission or the forgiveness of the sins we have caused to deviate, that have caused us to deviate from the narrow road. By eating the wafer, which represents Christ's body, we are sealing God's covenant with us that through Christ, if we repent and turn from our sins and seek forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us. This is why communion is an important act of worship. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us here today. As we start to partake of communion, help us examine ourselves. And if we've fallen short of your laws, then show us and forgive us. Search us, O God, and reveal anything that we may need to repent for. Help us to remember... And never let us forget the importance of this communion we are about to partake of. Bless this communion and allow us to enter into a deeper relationship with you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. Uh, we are going to do announcements this morning. Um, my name is Kristen, and this is Chris, for anyone who may not have met us before. Um, so our announcements we have in the foyer, the two buckets out there to collect uh, for the pill bottles for Matthew 25 Ministries and also the ink cartridges. Um, those help with both of those ministries with the church and for um, ministries around the world. Uh, the food pantry and clothes closet, um, we've got a list of items. I like that. Canned meat, hamburger, tuna helper, peanut butter, cereal, pasta, sauce, mac and cheese, fruit and veggies. Um, and that food pantry is, um, there's flyers out there, okay. So there are flyers back there with all this information on it if you would like to take that home to know what to put on your grocery list to buy. Uh, refit is Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. They've been trying to get me up here to do announcements so I could do a demo, but I'm just going to say if you want to know, you have to come because this is this not do it justice. Um, we do all kinds of fun things, move the chairs, turn on fancy lights, and we just have a really good time moving our bodies um, because it's good for our physical bodies, our spiritual bodies, all of that. Um, Mellon Ridge, the next um, service for Mellon Ridge will be on June 26th at 2. Um, after service, they will have lunch here and then kind of gather up and go over for a service to serve those people at Mellon Ridge. Um, ties and offerings, we have the typical offering box in the back, and we also have online giving. So whichever method is best for you. Um, there's also sheets out in the foyer about the budget. Um, weekly, they need... Um, close to $3,000 to keep this place running. So we appreciate your giving so that we can keep the church going and also support these awesome ministries in Cincinnati. Oh, and this slide is new. That's why Chris and I are up here. He's going to share a little bit um, Financial Peace University and about our story and um, just kind of what this ministry is about. Hello. <laughs> I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to stumble through uh, my story, our story, um, and how we came to, to um, this. Kristen and I met in college, um, and about 16 years ago, we got married. Kristen was working as a teacher, and I was working just minimum wage jobs, just anything I could find, whatever uh, I could do. At one point, I even lost my job, and we, we lived with that. Neither of us made a lot of money. <clears throat> Neither of us knew how to handle money very well. We were all pretty normal. <laughs> we did normal stuff with money. We overdrew our checking account over and over. We uh, uh, financed everything, uh, furniture, appliances, groceries, cars, everything. We bought our house in Loveland, and then we couldn't even afford the, payment at the, the down payment at the time, so we had to borrow even the down payment. That's all pretty normal, right? About three years ago, we decided we need to make a change. We decided we need to figure out a way of living without borrowing money for everything. Uh, during our journey, we made many, many mistakes. We didn't know where to start. We didn't know what to do. We didn't, we didn't know. So we just decided to just start, just try, and we made a choice and just did it. Eventually, after uh, doing the wrong thing over and over again, we found Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. This information was what we were looking for all along. They teach you how to start, no matter where you are, no matter what debt you have, where, 
and no matter what you make. It's a proven plan, a roadmap to know what to do each step of the way. Dave Ramsey likes to call it God's and Grandma's way of handling money. I, I like that. So in those three years, we paid off $117,000, and that was just 37 months. This January, we paid off our last debt, which was our house, and now we're completely debt-free. We have no debt. It was hard. We wish we had found this Dave Ramsey information a lot sooner. We could have been doing a lot more different things with, with, our, with our lives. Uh, so we decided that we want to make this information available, so we want to lead a class. We want everybody else to have the, uh, the opportunity to find this information. This is a nine-week class with biblical wisdom um, and common sense to help you tack tackle budgeting, paying off debt, and planning for the future. The class starts from July 11th to September 5th, and it's open to anyone in the community. If you're interested, uh, come see me or Kristen, and we'll help you out. And there's also... There's also flyers out in the foyer, so if you guys are interested, there's information about how to sign up, or you can see one of us if you want to um, just sit down and talk about it or um, figure out how to sign up together. If you're not good with technology, we'll help you out. So public speaking is um, one of the Worst fears that most people have is speaking in public, right? And he did a really good job. Kristen and Chris both did a really good job for uh, as nervous as they say they were. But, you know, it's all right. So, yeah, we encourage all of y'all to sign up for that and um, learn how to use money correctly. It's pretty good stuff. All right, so today we're going to be um, in, uh, well, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. So I'm going to start today with the words from a marvelous old hymn that's entitled Others. And the hymn goes like this, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of us, and it's contrary to what most of us have been taught, but being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, is not about you and your personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I've heard people say that if you were the only person who ever lived, that Jesus would have died just to save you. Anybody ever heard something like that? And that all sounds really nice, doesn't it? It brings tears to our eyes, right? It strokes our egos, but the fact is, it's just not true. That Jesus died to save a people, not a person, but a people for his name. See, Christianity is not about individuals. Yes, it involves individuals, and yes, individuals must choose to follow Jesus. 
But Christianity is about God saving humanity through Christ to unite us, to unite us in Christ and make us a part of Christ's body. Christianity is about becoming a part of God's family and then learning how to live in community with others. A community where none of us lives for ourselves any longer, but we now live for the Lord and for one another. So today we're going to start a series of teachings entitled Living for One Another. Now in the New Testament, the phrase one another is used 100 times. And 47 of those times, it's in reference to how we should live in our relationships with other followers of Christ. Now, we're only going to cover 46 of those today, but no. Now, what this shows us is that our relationships with one another are very important to God. And if it's important, if our relationships are important to God, then they should be very important to us as well. So if the Lord is willing, that's what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks living for one another. Today, we'll talk about three things God commands his people to do for one another. Let's pray. Lord, as we study how you want us to live for one another, we ask you to open up our understanding, open up our minds and our hearts, and give us grace to hear and to practice your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing God commands his people to do for one another is God commands his people to love one another. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says this to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we start with the most important command of all. It's the command to love one another. And we start here because everything else we do for one another flows from obeying Jesus' command to love one another. In other words, because we love one another, we serve one another, we value one another, and we do all the other one another's. So obedience to all the one another's flows from obedience to the command to love one another. But what does it mean to love one another? Well, since we live in a culture that talks a lot about love, but does not have the slightest clue what God's kind of love is, well, we need to let the scriptures define love for us. And notice that Jesus commands us to love one another as he loved us. And in 1 John three sixteen, John shows us how Jesus loved us, and there he also gives us a definition of God's kind of love. John writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So we know what love is by looking at how Jesus loved us as our example. How did Jesus love us? Well, Jesus laid down his life for us. And John says that we ought to lay down our lives, or we ought to love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us by laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, that may sound like John saying that we must die for one another, just like Jesus died for us. But when we look at the context of these, of these verses, John has something more practical in mind. John goes on in 1 John three seventeen to give us an example of what's included in laying down our lives for fellow believers. John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters is not so much about dying for 
our brothers and sisters, although it may come to that. But we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters when we meet the needs of our brothers and sisters when they cannot meet their own needs. And this is what Paul has in mind in Galatians 6, 2, when he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But what is the law of Christ? Well, the law of Christ is the law of love, the command to love one another as he loved us. And we fulfill that command when we lay down our lives or sacrifice ourselves to help carry the burdens of others. We fulfill the law of love. We show love for one another by sacrificing ourselves to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in the scriptures, we find promises like the one we read in Philippians 4.19, where Paul says this, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 9.8, we read, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So God promises that he will bless us abundantly so that in all things, at all times, we have all that we need. God promises that he will meet all of our needs. But something we need to remember is this. One of the main ways that God meets all of our needs, blesses us and gives us the riches of his glory in Christ, is through his people, through the church. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet. We are vessels of God's grace. God uses his people. He uses you and he uses me to fulfill his promise to meet all the needs of his people. Now, I wonder how often we miss the fact that God is trying to meet some of our needs, trying to give us what we pray for. We miss it because we're waiting for God to do something miraculous some big giant thing, like drop what we're asking him for out of the sky into our lap. How often are we like the man in the following story? So there was a man trapped on his roof during a flood. He began praying to God to save him. And he had this picture in his mind of what he thought God would, or how he thought God would answer his prayer. He thought that God's hand would reach down from heaven and lift him to safety. So after a little while, the man's neighbor comes by in a rowboat and says to the man, jump in, I can save you. But the stranded man says, no thanks, I'm waiting for God to save me. So the neighbor rows away. The man continued to pray and hold on to this picture of how God would answer his prayer. Another neighbor comes by in a motorboat. He says to the man on the roof, jump in, I can save you. The stranded man replies, no thanks, I'm waiting for God to save me, and I have faith that he will. So the motorboat speeds away. A little later, a helicopter comes by, and the pilot of the helicopter shouts down to the stranded man, grab the rope, I can save you. Stranded man shouts back, no thanks, I'm waiting for God to save me. So the helicopter flies away. But the stranded man continued to pray, believing with all his heart that God would reach down from heaven and save him. Well, soon the water rose above the rooftop and the man drowned. So when he got to heaven, he asked God, why did you not save me? I prayed and I believe with all my heart that you would answer me. Why did you let me down? So God replied, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you expect? <laughs> How often are we like that man? 
So we've got this picture in our minds of how we think that God should answer us, how we think that God should meet our needs. But we're looking for, for some spectacular thing when the answer is often right in front of us. If we would just look to the Lord's people who are channels of God's grace. See, God uses his people to meet our needs. And what this means is that we need to know what kinds of needs our brothers and sisters have in the church. We've got to get involved in one another's lives. That's part of loving one another. We need to be involved in the lives of other people within the church, not just here on Sunday, but we need to be involved in people's lives. And this also goes both ways. This means we've got to let people or we've got to be willing to allow others within the church to be involved in our lives. See, if we have a need, then we need to let some people in the church know about it, right? How many of us have needs that go unmet because we don't ask others for help? Now, listen, it is possible that through God's spirit, he could reveal your needs to me or somebody else. But the normal way that God works is for us to tell one another our needs so that God can meet our needs through his people. You know, as a church, we do a really good job meeting the needs of God's family. But I think we could do better. What if we all got involved in one another's lives? What if we all took seriously our role in making sure the needs of every member of this church are being met? Now, you might think, well, isn't that the pastor's job? Shouldn't the elders make sure that everyone's needs are met? Well, my answer to you is absolutely not. That's an impossible burden the church has laid on the shoulders of church leaders for centuries, and it just doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because that's not the way Christ designed his body to function. Instead, Christ designed his body, Christ designed the church, so that each member has a vital role to play in making sure the needs of each member are met. So if you're a part of Christ's body, if you're a member of the church, it's your job to know one another's needs and to minister to one another's needs. And yes, some of that does fall on pastors or elders, it falls on deacons, but it's not because we're in leadership. It's because we're supposed to love others just like every other member of Christ's body. So the primary job of pastors or elders is to teach you, to equip you, all of you, so you're able to minister to and serve one another. Now I'm going to give you some Bible to prove what I just said to you. Listen to what Paul says about this in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. He says, And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, so that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers could do all the work of the ministry. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's not what Paul says, is it? No, what Paul says is, and Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. 
Christ gifted some to be apostles, others to be prophets, others to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why did he do this? Well, it's so important that we not only hear this, but also apply it. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastor teacher were given to the church by Christ to equip his people, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So from now on, we all should remember that we're all in full-time ministry, all of us. See, my main job and Dan Marsh and Dan Simpson's main job is to equip all of you to minister to one another. We're to equip you for the work of ministry. It's our job to build you up in the faith so that you can build up the body of Christ. It's our job to teach you the truth so that you can speak the truth to one another in love. Each person in this body has a work to do in order for this body to be built up. And if each person does not do their work, well, then the body of Christ will not be built up. We will not be united in the faith. We will not grow into maturity as we should. See, I cannot do it all. The elders cannot do it all, and we're not supposed to do it all. And as long as we're expected to do it all, as long as everyone is not involved in ministering to the needs of one another, well, Christ's body will always be crippled in one way or another. Christ's body will not be as healthy as it should be, and Christ's body will not grow as God desires. Each individual part of the body must be working together with all the other parts of the body to build up the body. Jesus wants his church to be known as a community where people love one another by taking care of the needs of one another. As we read back in John, the world, the world will know that we're his disciples when we love one another. But for that to happen, each member of this body must make it a priority to love and care for every other member of this body. So when we all stop waiting for others to do what God calls us to do, when each member of this church does their share, well, this body will grow and build itself up in love. And the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus. Not because we're out telling them, not because we got a bumper sticker, but because we got love for each other and the world sees it. So let's ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to love God's people by laying down my life for my brothers and sisters? Now that might sound scary, but it really doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes getting involved in one another's lives. Ask others in the church if they need something. Ask others if you can help them with something. Get out your church directory and call someone this week and ask them how their week is going. Ask them how they're doing spiritually. Ask them if you can pray for them. And don't, don't just say that you'll pray for them, but let them actually hear you take their name before God's throne of grace in prayer and encourage them in the Lord by reminding them of God's promises. And if someone actually practices what I'm preaching and does call you this week, well, then ask those same questions. How's your week? How's your spiritual life? Is there anything you need? Can I pray for you? And then encourage them in some way in the Lord. That's a very practical way for all of us to get involved with meeting the needs of others. And in that and other ways, let's love one another by laying down our lives for one another, by doing what we can to meet the needs, the many many needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. God commands his people to love one another. Now, the second command we're going to look at today flows directly from the first command. And I can guarantee you this is not going to be as long as that first one was. But the second thing God commands his people to do, so uh, commands his people to do for one another is God commands his people to serve one another. 
In Galatians 5.13, Paul encourages us. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So Paul reminds us the reason Christ saved us, the reason Christ sets us free from sin and death, from, free from Satan and self, the reason Christ puts us into his body is so that we can serve one another. We're saved to serve. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So God has not only gifted apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, God also gifts, gives gifts to every person who is a part of Christ's body. And Peter says, we're to use whatever gifts we receive from God to serve one another. Because as we use our God-given gifts to serve one another, well, then God's grace is dispensed through and to the church in various forms. So Peter urges us to be faithful stewards of God's grace by being faithful servants to one another. And this goes back to what Paul said in Ephesians about each part of the body doing their share. If we're not using the gifts that God gives us to faithfully serve his people, faithfully serve his people in the church, well, then the body will always be crippled in some way. But if all of us use the gifts we're given to serve one another, Peter says the result will be that God will be praised through Jesus Christ in all things. And again, this is going back to what I said about what Jesus said about us loving one another. The world will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. So the world will see it. Everybody will see it. God will be praised through the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God, God wants us to serve one another with the gifts that he gives us so that he will be glorified. So I want to encourage you to think about all the different ways you can use the gifts, use every good thing that God has given you to serve his people. And then here's the biggest thing. Don't overanalyze it. You ever heard of the, the, the phrase uh, uh, paralysis by analysis? What does the Lord want me to do? And I'm, I'm sitting around worried about it so much that I never do anything. Well, let's not do that. Think about the gifts that you have. Think about the things that God has given you. And don't worry about doing it exactly right. Just do what God says and use whatever gift you've received to dispense God's grace to God's people. God will take care of the rest. Use your gifts to serve one another. If you do that, then those you serve will be blessed, you will be blessed, and God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. So God commands his people to serve one another. And that brings us to the third and final command that we'll talk about today. God's people should value one another. In Romans 12, 10, Paul says, honor one another above yourselves. Now, the word honor here, it means to value. So we're to value others. And notice Paul says we're to value one another above ourselves. And what this means is we should treat others as if they're more important than we are. Paul says the same thing again in Philippians 2, 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, there's a lot of translations who will insert a word here. 
<laughs> it says not looking only to your own interest, but that word is not in the scriptures. He's saying not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. You shouldn't be worried about your own interest. You should be worried about the interests of others, right? To take care of them. So is that what the world or the culture that we live in encourages us to do? Encourages us to do? To value others above ourselves and put the interest of others ahead of our own? Oh, not quite. So we're encouraged to look out for ourselves. We're encouraged to live as if our interests are more important than everybody else's interests. We're encouraged to be selfish. The world doesn't get it. Our culture doesn't get it. But Paul goes on in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 to show us the ultimate example of someone who does get it. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus is the perfect pattern of what it looks like to value others above ourselves. Think about what Paul is saying here. Jesus is and always was equal with God the Father. Everything God the Father is in his divine nature, well, the eternal Son of God is also. But Jesus did not use his equality with God to his own advantage. Instead, he used his equality with God to the advantage of others. So he who is everything made himself nothing by becoming a man. Jesus did not leave his divinity behind. He did not empty himself of his divine nature. Instead, he made himself nothing by becoming something he was not before. He who was God by nature humbled himself by taking on human nature. And by doing that, he united his divine nature with human nature so that he could redeem human nature. Why would he do this? So that he could create a new humanity in himself. See, though he, though he had done nothing to deserve death, he suffered and shed his blood for us. He died as a criminal on a cross so that through his death, he might destroy the devil who holds the power of death. And through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus created a new humanity in himself and saved us from sin, Satan, darkness, and death. And through all of that, he was valuing others above himself. He was using the advantage he had as God to help us who were disadvantaged. He made himself nothing so that all of us could become something through our union with him. And that's the same attitude we're to have toward one another. We're to honor others above ourselves. We're to use any advantage that we have, everything that God has given us to serve others. We're to have the mind of Christ and put the interest of others above our own. How do we do that? Well, we make the definite decision to love one another. We make the definite decision to serve one another. We use everything that God gives us to serve one another humbly in love. And if we ever forget how to do that or why we're doing that, we just need to turn our eyes back toward the Lord Jesus and take a good long look at the cross. Though Jesus was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. And he expects his followers to follow in his footsteps and do the same thing. And as we close, 
in response to God's word today, let's learn to use the time, the talents, the treasures that God gives to each and every one of us, the gifts that we have. Let's learn to use those to obey God's command, to love one another, to serve one another, and to value one another. God calls us to follow in the steps of his son and our savior and live for one another. So let's all learn to do that better every day. And let's make the words of that old hymn we started with our own prayer. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for showing us the way that you want us to live in our relationships with one another. Through your grace, we ask you to strengthen us so that we can obey your command to love one another, to serve one another, and to value one another. Help us to do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So they're going to sing a final song, and while they do that, I want to invite you to come forward if you want to pray about anything. Somebody will be up here to pray with you. If you don't know the Lord today and you want to know how to know the Lord, someone can help you with that as well. If you need prayer for healing, we would like you to come forward. We'll anoint you with oil. Uh, Any other prayer at all, any other thing you need, do that while they sing this song. So I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Take me. 